it happens in the middle of the day. I think we're going to do a great job. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Man Podcast. Right off the bat, thank you for the time. We're not going to take it for granted. And as always, do us a favor. If you like these episodes, hit that subscribe button to get a new one each and every single week. Of course, leave us a rating to let us know how we're doing. And the biggest favor you can give us is sharing this with a friend that you know you can get some value with and someone that can get some value from it. Because we are on a mission and on a vision of connecting men in pursuit of their potential. We do that by embracing discomfort cultivating community and putting wind in each other's sails. I'm excited to get some wind in our sails today. We have Dennis Meralda out of New Jersey joining us this morning, founder and CEO of Building Men. Dennis, man, it's it's great to have you. I know we've had a couple of conversations. I'm glad to actually have one that's recorded for our viewers. Oh yeah, man. Thank you, Ted. I appreciate you having me on, man. This is a good time. Can't wait. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to, to chat with the audience yourself, uh, introduce who you are, tell them a little bit about your backstory, and we can kind of jump into how Building Men, the podcast it came about and the work that you do came about, and then kind of everything intertwined around that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity, one, to come on Modern Man and and also to share my story and what's been going on with me. The The quick and dirty of it is I was a middle school principal in New Jersey for many years. My background was in education and in sociology. I uh, went to school in South Jersey, played baseball. And during my educational journey, not only in education, I also did a minor in sociology. And during that time, I did an internship at this. It was almost a halfway home for young men. And the boys were there. They were pretty much high school kids that were there because they were in trouble with the law the court system. They had done something bad or they were involved in something bad in their household. So they were the victims of um, sexual abuse, physical abuse, neglect. And I basically was their counselor um, as an intern. And I also got a job as a van driver. So I would go to school and college, you know, up until two or three o'clock. And then I would go pick up this van and drive around South Jersey. And there's some pretty rough areas picking kids up. So this way they had some place to go after school. And I really valued this one connection that I was able to establish with these boys. And two, I saw the value in the community that they were establishing with one another. And they were they were the victims of a lot of tough stuff going on. And I saw them leaning into these vulnerable conversations and how it really impacted them as human beings as they were growing and starting to heal from a lot of the things that they had been through. Now, fast forward, I taught in central New Jersey, my Third day teaching in Central Jersey was 9-11, September 11th of 2001. So I, as a teacher, was impacted with kids in my school being impacted by family members perishing in, in the World Trade Center attacks. So that was how I started off my education career and went back quickly, got my master's degree and wanted to become a school leader. So I got my master's in educational leadership, started as an assistant principal in 2005 and right away, Ted, I saw all the issues that I was dealing with or with the boys in the school. Yeah. You name it, I was dealing with it. It was them coming to school late, not coming, getting in trouble, getting in fights, getting tossed from class for being disrespectful. The stupid stuff that we might have done when we were in that, that age group. These were the kids that I was seeing on a regular basis. But I really appreciated their backstory. Uh, mm. From experience, I knew that it wasn't just they were they were just trying to be a-holes in the class. Not sure if I could curse on the, on the show, but they, they were... But I recognize they were they were trying to get some kind of a need met. There was something that they weren't able to get met and they were to they were pushing back in a lot of these different ways. So I decided to establish a community for these boys. So I started a, a boys group called Building Men 
And um, we met once a week and I had almost every boy in the school part of this group. And so I ran like 10 different groups of 25 boys and it was really, really powerful. Yeah. Um, it started off with them telling me what they thought a man was. And uh, it was probably <laughs> you would envision as well. Like when you were growing up, they thought it was the bigger, faster, stronger, the, like physically dominating. The guy had to have a six pack. Yeah. You know, he had to have gigantic muscles. A lot of them said he had to have a beard and wear leather and ride a motorcycle and have tattoos. That meant that you were a better man. So it was like physical dominance. Then they thought it was sexual conquest. How many girls can you bang and how hot are the girls that you're banging? That meant that you were a better man. And I remember saying that in high school, dude, he is the man. Did you see the, did you see Sasha? You see, yeah. what, you see what she's wearing? To, like, he, <laughs> the hotness of the girls that the guys were with. And then finally it was about the economic like dominance, like how, like how much money they can make. And it was the accumulation of stuff. So it was the professional athlete slash like, you know, uh, rock star rap star kind of lifestyle that they thought was really um that they wanted to embrace and i said listen those are all things that could be taken away from you potentially so let's base our masculinity around things that people cannot take away from us our character our integrity being accountable to ourselves and to others what we can do in service of other human beings and that's where the whole the, initially the the idea of building men came from was this boy social group I mean, I love that because I think of the conversations I had in high school and you mentioned like that sexual conquest. I remember in high school, I got a girlfriend and and one of my buddies on the football team was like, oh, I heard you're dating so-and-so. Congrats, man. She's hot. Like yeah. if she wasn't hot, would that have been a lower rung of my manhood? And yes. that's 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 exactly how we operated. Right. We're we're on the football team We're we're doing our cup checks, slapping each other and checking each other and just joking around, seeing, OK, who's dating who, who's with who. Oh, you hooked up with that girl. And it was, you know, hindsight being 2020, it was just so shallow and, and superficial at the time, right? Growing up, I remember I wanted a job where I could wear a suit every day because I thought it would be mean that yeah. I was making a lot of money. But to your point, those things can be taken away from us. Uh, I'm interested to know, how did the kids react when you started leaning them away from that definition of manhood, right? When you're talking about character when you're talking about you know integrity and, and i mean some of our values here right integrity strength and vulnerability growth those are some things that we we kind of stand on but i imagine as a young kid it's not a, always an easy sell i um i think where it came from ted was initially i felt when it first started i needed to, it needed to look sound and feel a certain way so i needed to be the principal of the school buttoned up with the shirt and tie on and it has to come across very like you'd go and watch a presentation. But what I quickly recognized was that for me to have any impact on these kids, I needed to loosen up a little bit. I needed mm. to lean into the vulnerability that I was experiencing as well. Um, I had a guy on my podcast and name is Jordan Montgomery. He had a quote that said something along the lines of people will be really impressed by your successes, but they will connect to you through your struggles or through your vulnerabilities. And that's what I recognized in building men was I started to talk to the boys about my own struggles growing up. I talked to them about my relationship with my father. I talked to them about, you know, abuse that I had suffered. I talked to them about how I value things growing up. And to me, it was the same exact thing, Ted. It was, I didn't feel like I was quote unquote, a man until I got laid for the first time. Mm. And, and like, I felt that other kids that were better athletes than me, were better men than me or potentially would be better men than me. So I was able to share with them my own feelings around things. And so I normalized 
their feelings by me sh- sharing with them how I felt. I told them, I remember when I was in eighth grade, and this is just coming back to me right now that you asked the question. When I, I remember in eighth grade, I still didn't hit puberty yet. So I was one of the late bloomers. And now I'm 6'4", 225. Like it, it sh- I shot up quickly from eighth grade to ninth grade. But in eighth grade, all my friends, I remember they had armpit hair. Yeah. And people that are listening, this might resonate with them a little bit. There was that one kid when you're in sixth or seventh grade that all of a sudden his balls drop, his, his you know, voice gets deep. He's got a beard and armpit hair. And I, you know, I was like bald head to toe. Right. So <laughs> I remember going to like pool parties with my friends and I was afraid to take my shirt off because then the girls would know that I didn't hit puberty yet, which <laughs> means I wasn't like a potential sexual partner in my mind. I wasn't getting laid when I was in eighth grade, but in my mind, this is what it was about. And so there was a lot of insecurities there. And so I talked to the boys about that. And once they heard me talking about those things, they're like, huh, this is okay to talk about. I'm feeling the same way right now. And yeah. once one kid leaned in and another kid did, and all of a sudden there, are, I have 13, 14 year old boys talking about being nervous going home from school because of things that are going on with their families or they're worried about their grades or they're worried about girls or they're worried about societal pressures or what they're going to do after high school. And then the magic started to happen. Yeah, man. I mean, for me, it was the facial hair, right? Like I couldn't, I couldn't grow facial hair as, as much as I wanted. And I remember after, I think it was sophomore year of college or, or freshman year of college, I finally got enough to get a little goatee. Yeah. And I thought I was the man until I had to shave it for, for on air. And then finally, I did no shave November. And for those that follow me and watch a lot, they they see this beard. It took me the whole month to grow this beard <laughs> as a grown man. <laughs> so I, I hear that now I got to trim it down. But we we judge ourselves. We measure ourselves to the men around us. Right. It's and that's so unfortunate because instead of measuring ourselves and comparing ourselves to our fellow man, we really need to measure ourselves and compare ourselves to the man in the mirror to the man that we were yesterday, the man that we are today, and the man that we hope to be tomorrow. That's really the only measurement that's worth kind of gauging, really. I love that. One of the poems that I would use with the Building Men group was a poem called The Man in the Glass. Mm. And for those of you that haven't heard of it yet, I would recommend Googling it. The last stanza in The Man in the Glass is, you may fool the whole world down the pathway of years and get pats on the back as you pass, but your final reward will be heartache and tears if you've cheated the man in the glass. And that was a poem that I would have the boys memorize as part of the building men group. They would memorize that poem because it was so important. Like I recognize the importance of them being able to look at themselves in the mirror and no bullshit, like really have honest conversations with yourselves. It might look a certain way to those on the outside, but you can truly, you're not going to be able to lie to the person that's looking back at you in the glass. So if you can be, if you can be true to that person, then anything is possible. Yeah. Since we're talking about poems, I, I kind of want to, because I saw this on your homepage and I, and I and absolutely love this because it's my favorite poem. And when I moved away from home, my dad gave me this poem um, and I actually just finished another book called uh, Who is Man? And I, I'm realizing um, all the gifts that my dad has given me. And I actually was finishing up the book, Who is Man? And I'm going to open up my phone really quick because, A, I, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge my dad's birthday it was just the end of November. We we're recording this early December, which happy birthday to you as well, brother. Oh, um, but my dad just turned 81. So the fact that, that I could have this text exchange uh, is, is just amazing. But I sent him a page in the book which says, self-satisfaction is the opiate of fools. Abraham Herschel, who is man, 1965. And I said, loving the book, dad. And he just says from fathers to sons. And 
he's been trying to pass this information along to me um, my whole life. And I'm just so thankful that I'm at a point where I'm realizing that and I'm able to give him the flowers of that in real time. But the poem he gave me was the if poem by Rudyard Kipling. And I, I mean, the the last stanza on that, I want it tattooed on my arm, specifically yep. the, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, right? And yep. and you have on your website, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. What does that poem mean to you? Man? Wow. And that's another poem. And it's funny. I, I was never big into poetry, Ted, but once I started doing building men and normalizing for the boys, it's okay to read poetry. Yeah. Pull out, you know, Dead Poet Society, Robin Williams, the movie from the early 90s. What a what an unbelievable movie. And really talk about let's let's dive deep into each stanza from the poem if. If you've never read that poem, dive deep into it. There are eight stanzas in that poem, and there's so many lessons that if I was creating a school right now, there would be a course for boys on that poem for one semester. Yeah, We would break down every single stanza in that poem. When I interviewed my son on the podcast, my son turned 17 on March 25th, Ted. And so on that day, he passed his driver's test. In Jersey, you don't get your driver's license until you're 17. We came, he came into the studio. I interviewed my son, Denny. And that was a big part of our conversation was the poem, If. Mm. What I did was when he was born, I had that framed for him. And it's something that we've had discussions about several different times in our lives during the, the course of his life. And there was there's even there's a there's a stand in the poem that really impacted me as I was going through this monumental change in my life when I left education and during covid basically was was jobless and almost homeless based because of, of my yeah. decision to leave education, doing some consulting work and coaching and having to travel and then school shut down. So I was left. Oh, no. What am I going to do right now? Yeah. There's a there's a stands in this poem, Ted. It goes like this. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it at one turn of pitch and toss and lose and mm-hmm. start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they're gone. And to hold on when there's nothing in you except for the will, which says to them, hold on. And that line in the poem I needed to hear at that time in my life when I felt like things were, were horrible and I wasn't able to go forward. And that poem resonated with me in such a different way at that time when I was struggling and had that conversation with my son on the podcast. But what that poem means to me is what it means to be a man. It really it brings <laughs> everything in together. There's so many lessons from that poem. And I do. It's something that, that I converse with my son yeah. about all the time. Hey, man, uh, you, you just hit on something. I think we should go someplace we should go because I think a lot of guys experience this something i've experienced with modern man for anyone who's followed for a long time we had live conferences until the pandemic hit and then we had to switch to virtual conferences rebranding to the podcast and um there's a a stance in the poem sounds like you have it in front of you about the um you know if you could look at the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools um man Let's talk to the guys really quick about what that that process was like starting over, because, you know, we we can put our lives into something. We put our heart and souls into something, you know, for you digging so deep through teaching and, and you know, even accomplishing that, you know, becoming an education leader to shifting with this passion of yours, building men and and to be in a position where it looks like, oh, crap. Right. I went through it with my career when I when I left weather and went into anchoring and had a rough six months on picking that up i was like oh crap right and then 
altering, shifting the podcast with modern man. Oh, crap. How do you handle that? How do you adjust? And I mean, I know that the poem, the if poem was huge for you in that moment, but I guess talk a little bit more on, on how you cope through those times and how you built up with those worn out tools, man. Right. So for me, it was, I left education in 2019 um, after being a principal for more than a decade. And one of the reasons I left was because I was told by a superintendent and board of education that no more of this building men stuff, no more social groups. You need to work on our test scores, our standardized test scores. We need to raise our test scores. No more of this touchy feely stuff with groups, get in the classroom, look at the curriculum. And I was like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. At the time I was married, Ted, this is 2019. And so from that point on, I started working as a coach and a consultant for educators, talking to them about building community, engaging kids, like the real stuff that they need to learn. How do you proactively manage behavior? How do you talk to kids? How do you get the most out of them, inspire them? Like, what are the real lessons you need to teach kids? And it was going really, really well up until the the year 2020. And as it impacted many people, it impacted me. So I went through at the time, a separation, which led to a divorce. And so in March of 2020, I'm separated. And um, in the process of, of the divorce and school shut down. Mm-hmm. So with the divorce proceedings, it was based on my salary as, you know, a, a school principal leader and as a co- consultant and a coach. So I'm going into a divorce and for a period of about three months, I had zero salary. Mm-hmm. I was making no money, but my divorce was already signed in a way where I was, I was locked into child support and everything. So I was Ted. There was a time. It was I want to say April, May of 2020, where I was at. It's a wonderful lifetime right now. I was George Bailey on the bridge in the beginning of the movie, yeah. thinking like, yeah. why would my kids be better without me? Would my kids be better with a a million dollar life insurance policy rather than having this dad who can't even pay his his bills next month because he doesn't know how he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get back into education because I just left like eight or nine months ago. So I wasn't a marketable commodity as a principal anymore. I really didn't know what to do. And that was the moment where I decided, all right, I'm going to do something with building men. This was my my life's passion when I was a principal. I'm going to dust the book off the shelf and and take a look at it. And is there something that I might be able to do with it? And hopefully with my passion about it, um, the stars will align for me at the same time. I was a physical mess, Ted. I was, uh, I had put on a ton of weight during COVID. Um, I, I was eating horribly. I was drinking every single day. I was, I was watching pornography every single day. It was, it was basically my level of intimacy that I was lacking in my life. So you name every bad habit that probably the people that are listening, you're, you're telling them to get rid of in their life. I was doing all that stuff. Yeah. Everything I was doing wrong. And for me, my younger brother was a big spark. He was a big catalyst for me in my journey. It started with physical fitness. So that's how I started the process was by taking a step further, taking a step further. And it went from in, in, you know, May, June of 2020, I couldn't do one pull up. Mm-hmm. I re- I could not do one pull up. And I remember being at the gym with my brother in the morning and um, it was like 5am and he's like, all right, get on the, <laughs> on the pull up door and barn do a pull up. And I couldn't, I couldn't do one. So he did like a band assisted pull up for me. And I'll <laughs> tell you that I, I couldn't even use like, we had to go to like whatever the level band is that can shoot a rocket to Mars because I couldn't pull myself up. And it went from that to this, the consistency habits that I was putting in place on a regular basis. I went from that, I went up losing like 40 pounds over the next three or four months. And by September that year, I did a Murph. And so the Murph is nice. a run, 100, uh, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, another mile run. And I've been doing a Murph every single month since 
I was able to do my first. So that's been something that I was able to accomplish where at one point in my life, I couldn't do one pull up. And then now I'm able to do stuff like that again. Yeah, man, that's amazing. And, and I want people to, to know um, what just happened because like that arc you just gave, it's almost like the hero's arc, right? Um, you know, you, you look at someone like, a lot of folks, a lot of the guys watching are probably familiar with um, uh, Batman, the series with the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises or whatnot. But in Batman Begins, when you know he goes to that dark place, he gets he goes away from home and has to be transformed. And unfortunately, there's sometimes these catalysts that transform us. And when we go through that, the biggest thing I heard when you were saying that man was grace giving ourselves grace because you know you're not alone in that experience and i know what it's like where honestly when when i was single and i was i remember when i just moved and i was going out partying pursuing women watching pornography drinking all that um the hardest thing of getting out of that when my my one buddy charles he started getting me out to the gym. I couldn't, I could barely bench press the bar, <laughs> you know, now that today I'm doing 225 off yeah. my chest. Yep. But the biggest thing was, uh, another friend of mine says, Ted, you need to let that, you need to let that shit go, bro. Like you need to forgive yourself, right? Like so we hold on to this shame. We hold on to this, uh, this picture of who we think we are. Right. Or, who we are in the mirror, because I'm pretty sure Dennis, the moment you decided to change when you started working on doing those pull-ups and everything, your mindset and your mentality was different than what Dennis on the outside was. Oh, 100%. And I stopped, I really stopped worrying about what people thought of me. I was mm. so concerned about that for such a long time. And I was living inauthentically for many, many years. I was talking to the boys about things that they should be doing, but I wasn't doing those things myself. It really, it took that moment. I, and I, I remember I took a before picture and you want to do something scary, like a commit to yourself that you're taking the, the before picture. And I took it from the front and from the side and just the look on my face, I looked, it was yeah. like a, such a sad human being. And then it's like six months later, I took an after picture and it just, I looked like totally different, but it really yeah. was like giving myself the permission to say, you know what you were, you've gone through some really challenging things in your life. It's okay. Like you have to recognize it. It's not your fault that a lot of these things happen, but it's your responsibility to make the changes now. Yeah. You can't just sit in the, in that sappy moment and, and say, this is what it's going to be like forever. It's your responsibility to make those changes. And and for me, what I did was we mentioned in the beginning, uh, as we were just getting acquainted to start this episode too, the importance of writing things down, the importance of journaling, the importance of getting stuff out of your head. When things are stuck in your head, they just rattle around there forever. Like it's so, <laughs> it's so important to get it on paper and to read through it and say, you know what, that's a thought that I had, but I am not my thoughts. I'm not my feelings. Mm -hmm. I'm the thinker of my thoughts and I'm the feeler of my feelings. Yeah. Do you have a picture of the before and after? I do. You have an excess because I mean, I did the same thing where this was and for folks that are watching on YouTube, you can see uh, they called it the Gucci Ted when I was a little thick. <laughs> but my friend had to pull that up, crop it of me, send it to me. And that's what started me going to the gym. He literally sent that to me. And what you can't see in that picture is there's a beer in my hand. Right. And I'm at the lake. I'm thinking I'm having a good time. And he's like, we need to start working out when he sent that to me. And literally yep. that was the start of what changed it for me was when a friend came out and said, man, what are you doing? 
what are you doing? And that's the thing, like having someone hold that mirror up to us, you know, hold on one second. I don't know if I could, you could see this here. I have a, yeah, there's one and then I have another one, bro. And then here's the side, the side view of it. Yeah, man. Good work, man. (laughs) Two totally different people. And the tattoo is there. As you can see, it's me. Yeah. But it just was, it just wasn't. I don't, I, I don't recognize that person. I look back, I'm like, who the hell was that guy? Yeah. But it was, it wasn't just a physical weight that I was carrying. There was so much emotional weight that I was carrying that I needed to get in touch with myself again before I could start shedding all of the weight together. Mm. Another concept I think we're touching on a lot. You mentioned, you know, for you, it was your brother. For me, it was my buddy, Charles, my other friend who said, man, let that go. And you even mentioned it earlier when you were working with the boys. Um, and, and when you were seeing the boys who went through the trauma, how they started being vulnerable with each other and and pouring into each other. How did that community and how important is that community kind of what we're doing here with the modern man, what you're doing with building men, building that community. How important is that for our growth, our course correction? Cause I feel like we all have blind spots, right? We all operate at times inauthentically, but it's not unless we're willing to have some people close enough to us, to know us, to call us out on our BS. 100% agree with that. It's, it's that accountability piece that we need. I think, I think that we need three men in our lives, Ted. There's the man who is the mentor for us. He's the guy that he's the, um, the, the dad from, um, from, uh, boys in the hood. Mm -hmm. You know, he's the one, he's the, he's the Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's the Dumbledore. He's, he's that guy that is the, the mentor that is, has gone through it, that can impart his knowledge, his wisdom, his experience on us. We need the men in our lives as a second man or men, people that are going through the trenches with us that are there that are going through the battles that are experiencing the same thing. So like, I consider you a part of that tribe. Like we're, we're professionals that are trying to do the right thing. We're trying to to start movements where we're finding successes, but we're also finding failures We're we're, we're struggling with a lot of things we're doing. So being able to have other men in this spot with you that are like, man, I had a really, I had a really tough day today. I thought yeah. this was going right and it it wasn't and I'm feeling bad. And for you to be like, yeah, man, like I hear you. That sucks, but let's fucking go. Yeah. So let's, let's get back into it. And then you also need the the man in your life. That's the mentee. He's the Luke Skywalker. He's the Harry Potter. He's the one that he's, you're going to turn around, reach your hand back and say, let me help you now. Like let, from my experience, let me help you get to where, where I am. And then I take another step forward and I will reach my hand back and help you get to this spot. So there is that, that piece of having those three different men or type of men in our lives, but the people that are going through it with us for us to look at each other in the eye and, and, and hold each other accountable, be there to love each other, but then also help each other keep taking that next step forward. Mm-hmm. And if we're, if we're committed to that, we're not going to let each other fall and, and fail. We're going to, we're going to keep pushing each other to that next step. Yeah, man, I love that. And that, and that's so important, you know, having having those three aspects. Um, and I call it the rule of threes, the law of threes, you know, someone ahead that you follow, someone with you that you're in the trenches with, and, yep. you know, someone that you can help along the way so that they're farther than you by the time they get to where you are. Um, I'm also interested is in how did um, the boys you were with handle their trauma in terms of when they had that community and they are vulnerable with each other and those vulnerabilities were acknowledged and accepted. How did that, that, I guess, mature and grow? Because I mean, 
I know for depending on the group that you're in, when there's sensitivities, there are, but sometimes, um, and you see this a lot in the army. You see this a lot with, with men who go through some deep trauma of almost a joking aspect of it, right? Of making light of the situation, not because it's a light topic, but because it's, I don't want to say a coping mechanism, but it's just, you know, hey, if I, I equate it to when we're in the gym and I'll crack a joke with my buddy, like, hey, man, we might be in pain. We might be suffering, but we can still have fun. Yeah. 100%. And and here's the thing, what I would try to do is be as intentional as possible about building community with the group. Community doesn't happen just because we're all in the same space at the same time. There needs to be intentionality behind it when you're especially when you're dealing with with young men in that capacity. So what I would do is I would take their their five developmental needs into consideration. In my opinion, young men have these five needs, and we all do in, in some respect, but the need for autonomy, to feel as though your voice is a part of the space, that your opinion matters, that you can speak your mind, be assertive, to feel competent at things that you're doing. So um, to, to feel like you're good at doing whatever it is. So give them opportunities to feel good about themselves. But then also within that, and it's how I end every single podcast and building men go one step further than you thought you could go. I'm a believer in a, a educational theorist. His name is Lev Vygotsky. And he does this idea or he has this idea. It's called the zone of proximal development. And it's basically like when we learn the most is when we're stretched beyond a little bit beyond what we thought we were capable of. So it's not something like if it's a second grader, we're not going to teach them calculus. Mm -hmm. We're going to teach them something that's just a little bit beyond what they thought they can do. So they're not bored and they're not overwhelmed. It's just a little bit further, just that next rung of the ladder. So competency is something big. Having fun. I would normalize fun with the group. So you mentioned being at the gym with your buddies, like we would have fun. There would be some ball busting that went on in the group and it was a safe space. So we, what was said there stayed there. Mm -hmm. And I would tell the kids, the only way anything leaves this room is if I find out that you were either a danger to yourself or to others. Yeah. So in that group, if you said you're going to to hurt someone or hurt yourself, that is that transcends the group. Other than that, what was said there stayed there. We the need for relationships and then the need for safety for them to feel safe in the space. So if, if I was going into those situations, meeting those five needs, autonomy, competence, fun, relationship, safety. I had something there. And by them feeling that safe space, being able to have a good time in what they were doing, but within the, that good time, there were a lot of deep life lessons that they were learning, little rites of passage that they went through. That was that was them understanding that they were safe in the space and they could lean into those difficult conversations. It didn't happen in September, but by the time we got to May and by the time they went through the program for three years, we were doing some really powerful powerful stuff in that group. I mean, I had eighth grade boys, 14 year old boys blindfolded, leading each other down a street in Bordentown city. Nice. That's not something I would recommend you do. And what's <laughs> really intentional about conversations you're having with kids. They took it so seriously that they knew like that, that was their brother and that brother was responsible for them. And they were responsible for their brother in that situation. And mm -hmm. those, I, I still remember teachers saying, you can't do that. You're crazy. You can't do that. These kids will never do that. I'm like, just watch, just trust yeah. me. It will, it will happen. And that's amazing because I think, especially in today's day and age, you wouldn't be able to do that in the confines of our education system and the work that you're doing is so needed. So you having that bravery, you having really forging that path of, of building this is what allows you to continue to do this work. Um, in terms of, you know, growing boys into men, 
what are some of those challenges that you saw a lot of these boys facing that was maybe limiting their potential that was causing them to act out? Because as we mentioned before, and you were mentioning, you know, the problems you had in school were from the boys. And it's not that they were trying to be difficult. It's not that, you know, when we were in high school and we were young, it's not like we were just rebellious off the bat, like, nope, I'm going to be as difficult as possible. It's cry for help. Uh, what is it that these boys need to help them become men? What I would typically do, Ted, is I would try to line up like characteristics that we would see for boys and then characteristics that we would see for young men that were were like embracing their masculinity. We would start with just the idea of of reacting versus responding to situations. Mm -hmm. So you could be very reactionary as something happens like knee jerk, like angry or sad reaction or have time to process through and respond after considering whatever it is. So that's one distinction. Like even men that I work with now, some of the older men, it's as things come up, the, this, the desire to, to fix, like, I got it, I got it, I got it, or to like a deep desire to hear and to understand. Mm. Instead of just saying, I'm going to fix this no matter what. Let me, let me try to understand what's going on, especially when you're talking about emotions. The, the difference between like being defensive in a conversation than truly trying to, to hear what the other person is saying and then be accountable for your piece in whatever that interaction is. And the things that I'm talking about are more uh, personality characteristics and or more emotional in nature. But I do think that that's one of the big distinctions between even guys that you're working with now that are still perpetual teenage boys yeah. with the way that they react to situations, the way that they get overwhelmed, the way that they can't really process through their emotions. Um, the idea of external validation when you're looking for the stuff to fill the void in your life and the people that are listening, if you think the sneakers, the car, the house, the, the vacation is going to fill the void in your life, you have another thing coming. Those things do not fill what's missing. Once you fill the void, another void opens up somewhere else and you need the next pair of sneakers, you need a bigger car, bigger mm -hmm. house, more lavish vacation. Those things you need to fix are internal things that you need to work on. You can't validate yourself externally. And then another thing off the top of my head is just comfort, like truly seeking uncomfortable situations, mm -hmm. looking for ways to put yourself in challenging situations. Life has become too easy. And it's one of the things I talk to educators about. We, we're making it too easy for our kids right now. Yeah, you know, we need to make sure that they understand they have everything at their fingertips. They need to be able to work, to persevere, to understand what they're capable of as they're maturing into men. Because if they don't go through uncomfortable, challenging ex experiences now, if they don't learn how to fail now, and the first time they experience failure is in their late 20s and early 30s, holy shit, we're in trouble. Yeah. We're in big trouble. <laughs> Man, <laughs> I just, uh, I got an ice barrel, bro. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, started doing cold plunges. I, I started yesterday and um, I actually wrote down in my journal earlier, like we were talking about just unloading some thoughts. And one of the things I wrote down was, um, you know, stop letting other people who think you're crazy slow you down from doing the things that you're doing, you know, because sure, cold plunges, they've been blowing up recently and a lot of people are into them. And I remember doing cold showers and all that for a while to build my mental fortitude. But when I say something like, you know, I got a nice barrel, or I got a, you know, uh, I'm doing cold plunges. You laugh because I'm pretty sure you're familiar with it. Oh, yeah. But my friends are like, Ted, you're out of your mind. My wife is like, you're crazy. Like she was filming me yesterday doing this, like you're out of your mind. And I'm realizing that by putting myself in these things that other people are calling crazy, 
is the reason why I can handle certain things in my life the way I do. It's it's because I'm introducing the difficultness into my life. I think I heard Joe Rogan say this on a podcast. He's like, because someone asked how he handled everything with his business and he's talking millions of dollars. They're like, how do you handle it? And he's like, honestly, he, he said, the workouts I do and the cold plunges and everything. He's like, I introduce so much pain and chaos into my life. Everything else is whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. There was a guy that I interviewed. You'd love the guy and your listeners would love his book. His name is Akshay Nanavate. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book called Fearvana. The guy's an absolute savage. I, I interviewed him twice, episode 116 and episode 169. I had him on twice. But basically, he talks about the, the marriage of fear and nirvana mm. and really leaning into pain and suffering and suffering well and constantly looking for opportunities to challenge yourself and put yourself through uncomfortable situations. So much so that my son, who's 17 years old, is doing his college entrance essays. And part of it was he asked me to introduce him to this guy, Akshay Nanavate. He wanted to do his college entrance essays about pain, suffering, and discomfort and leading into fear, intentional discomfort. So for me as a dad, it was so cool to watch my son interview this unbelievable human being. If you don't follow him, follow him along. It's Fearvana, Akshay Nanavate. He's going to be the first human being ever in the history of the world, as far as we know, to transverse the continent of Antarctica solo, carrying everything that he has on his back and on a sled in 100 days across the entire continent. And no one has ever done it before, and he's in the process of training. The last time that he went through this training was the first time that I interviewed him. And during the training, um, he got frostbite so bad on two of his fingers, one of them they had to amputate. So the first time I interviewed him, he has gauze on his his, uh, (laughs) ring finger, and the second time, it's gone. You yeah. only had a little nub there. And so we, we were talking about that, about that whole process. But the guy's an absolute savage. But he really talks about appreciating those situations that were uncomfortable. Because listen, if you can get in that cold plunge in the morning, Ted, and you get out, you have this immediate rush of like, I just did something that sucked. Yeah. And I didn't die. I am still here. Whatever's coming next in my life, like bring it on. I can absolutely <laughs> take on this challenge because I just proved to myself that I am worthy of completing this challenge. Yeah, I, I was in the... I was in the water and literally the only words I really said to my wife was this sucks. And then I got out like, this feels terrible. And then 30 seconds afterwards, she's like, how do you feel? I'm like, there's this tingling feeling. I get this rush of energy. Yeah. And all of a sudden I was, I was, I was dialed in. I was dialed in because you just had such a, a massive jolt of cold and this, the cortisol releasing in your body and, and this stress instantly reduced whatever state of stress you were in before is non-existent because you just put yourself through something extremely difficult. So I said it before on the podcast, you know, the, the man that you want to be is on the other side of that discomfort that you're yep. avoiding. And it's all about leaning into that a little bit to find that growth and become that person that you look up to and that person that you're proud of when you look in the mirror. And, and I love that you're doing that work with building men. Um, Dennis, we could keep going, brother, but uh, that's our, that's our time for the podcast. I want to make sure that folks can follow you, find you, check out your podcast, which is amazing. Some stellar guests and the work that you're doing is nothing short of phenomenal. So how can folks get the links, man? 
Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Well, check out Ted on the podcast, episode number yeah. 168. Um, we had a we had a good time. We brought in some Ron Burgundy references into, into the episode, which is awesome. Um, you can find build, Building Men. I'm most active on Instagram, building.men. Um, and my website is buildingmen.io. I, I do workshops, professional development in schools with organizations. I coach young men and their parents pretty much. Nice. Um, and I appreciate the opportunity to come on the, on the show, my man. I really love what you're doing and, and thank you so much. Man, it, it's certainly an honor. And seeing that we're... we're we're so kind of intertwined with the fabric of what we're doing. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure this isn't the last time you're going to be on. Um, love what you're doing, Brett, man. And, and I'm going to continue to put put wind in your sails. And we appreciate you putting wind in our sails. I want to recap some of the gems that you gave along the way for, for folks really quick who might have been cleaning, driving or, or something. Um, because, man, th there were a lot of good things that we touched on. One is, you know, what cannot be taken away? We started with the, the young kids definition of manhood being superficial and, and materialistic things that are all fickle and they're all fragile we might want the money but that can change we might want the cars and the materialistic things that can change we might want the relationships with the girls that can all change we should put our 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 measure of masculinity in the things that are intrinsic and within um the man in the glass or the man in the mirror uh, you, you could put something out there in the world, but what you're putting in the mirror, what you are putting to yourself is going to be undeniable at the end of the day. And going from one poem to another, the If Poem by Rudyard Kipling, in terms of keep going and and handling life when you have to start over and pick up those worn out tools and build again, making the changes and taking the responsibility while giving yourself grace and implementing a community with th three kinds of people in your life, a mentor someone ahead of you, a peer, someone with you in the trenches and a mentee, someone you could reach back and help and pull them up. And of course, using intentionality when building that community, focusing on those five developmental needs, and then focus on responding instead of reacting, hearing to understand, not just hearing to respond. And of course, having life become easy by introducing your own difficultness and your own challenges. Man, this was a great episode. Dennis, thank you again, brother. Thank you to the audience and the, the viewers for making it to the end. And if you got some value from this, which I'm sure you did, we would really appreciate you sharing this with a friend as we continue to build and connect men in pursuit of their potential. Also, make sure you leave us a rating. Let us know how we're doing. That's the only way we can improve is when you tell us how we're doing and hit that subscribe button to get a new episode each and every week to hear from awesome guests like Dennis and others. With that being said, guys, we appreciate the time. And as we always say at the end, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain. But you can't get the pleasure without first the pain. Let's grow.